Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm producer David Schultz. So we have a really special episode for you today. If you can believe it, this is the 10th anniversary of the start of the podcast we now call Cases and Controversies. That's right, 10 years. We're going to be hearing from Kimberly, Greg, and Lydia in a bit, and they'll be joined by the man who dreamed up this whole thing, Tom Taylor, the chief of staff of our newsroom. But first, here's a brief clip of Tom introducing one of the earliest episodes from way back in 2013. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another uh, U.S. Law Week podcast. I'm Tom Taylor, assistant managing editor of U.S. Law Week, and I'm here today with... I remember, Tom, you used to, uh, like, put furniture in front of the doorway so people wouldn't, like, you know, interrupt us. And then we'd have to sit, like, really close because the microphone was, like, very short. And it was like, this is very uncomfortable here talking to you like this. Well, it was like the it was the first time I'd ever used a digital tape recorder. And it had the two microphones kind of standing up like a V. So you just plop that right in the middle of the table and ever, and the two people would just lean in really close to it <laughs> and uh, try not to knock it over, which I definitely happened on several occasions. All right. So, Tom, will you tell us when you decided to start the Supreme Court podcast way back in 2013, whose idea was it? Probably your brilliant idea. Uh, and then tell us uh, how you went about doing it. How did you procure this ridiculously small microphone that made everyone uncomfortable? It was definitely my idea. Um, at the time, we were almost entirely print focused, so we were not technology forward. Um, a lot has changed uh, since then. But I had found myself a lot of times doing kind of radio hits and different media. Um, and I think there was a sense that it worked to kind of talk in a little bit more of a casual conversational tone instead of putting everything down in print on the page gave people a chance to kind of get their ideas in order we were doing mostly argument previews so that was that was kind of the impetus there was to call it even a podcast was is probably stretching things quite a bit um and so you know it was really just a way to kind of sit down and talk to the people who were going to be at the court and covering it for us what were you hoping to accomplish back then 10 years ago when you started out I don't know that there was any hope that anything would be accomplished. I think it was just a uh, it was kind of a new thing to try, you know, something to kind of see if it made sense, see if it worked. I mean, of course, I was not editing it, really. It was just recording. And then you'd take that recording. And I the only way I knew how to distribute it was to put it on a Tumblr blog, (laughs) which I'm guessing that 99.9% of the people listening to this won't even know what that is. Um, Yeah, it was it was definitely lo-fi. And I think it was just like, you know, let's try something different. Do you have any idea how many people listened to the first episode? If it was if I couldn't count them all on one hand, I'd be uh, I'd be surprised. I listened. I listened to it. All right. So two. (laughs) You and my mom. (laughs) All right. Let's switch the subject to today. Um, Tom, since you were, you know, back there at the beginning, how do you see the court differently in terms of just how all of us report about the court uh, as compared to what you did 10 years ago? I think both the court and the press and the people who report on it, it's everything has become more dynamic. Right. The when I was going to the court, one of the things, you know, that I would tell people, they'd say, what is it like? What do you do? And it was all very 
procedural. It was all very staid. It, you knew when everything was going to happen. Everything was scheduled. It was, it, I mean, it was not a very dynamic place. I think that has changed immensely with the shadow docket and kind of new and kind of orders coming fast and furious and you might not be able to predict what's going on. The politics around the court has made it a much more um, kind of unpredictable place in terms of what you're focusing on and, and what you're doing. You know, back when I was getting started, it was read the briefs, go to the argument, wait for the opinion. Of course, we probably covered it in a slightly different way than than a lot of different outlets, but it was a lot more predictable, a lot more, um, you know, you knew what to expect. Um, So I think it's probably a lot more difficult to cover the court these days than it was back then. Yeah, and I don't know what you and Lydia think, Greg, but I also feel like, too, that a lot of times we would be focused on the cases. Like Tom said, we'd read the briefs, we look at the opinions, arguments. And now I feel like a lot of the coverage that we do is off the bench, you know, speeches the justices are giving or, you know, super yacht trips the justices are taking, things like that. Um, so it's not so much just limited to what's going on inside the courtroom. What's that? Is that the way it was when you started? Up? I, I mean, I, th- I think all that is, is everything you just said is, is very much the case. Um, I, I also think there is just so much more attention on the court right now. There is a level of focus that was not there, even when the court was doing very big things, uh, you know, back back in the past. And, you know, it's because we have this 6-3 conservative majority that a lot of folks think, you know, was kind of unfair in terms of how how uh, we got there. And they're doing all these very big things. And I think that just has ramped up so much focus on everything about the court, both the rulings and all those extracurricular things. And so, yeah, we're all spending a lot of time, you know, we, I think we all care a lot more about what uh, a justice might say in a speech and certainly more about, you know, what's in those financial disclosure reports that we generally uh, didn't didn't spend as much time on in previous years. Yeah, I tend to think of before Scalia died as the before times, and then everything else is like the after times. I think that's kind of when it started. Um, at least, like that's kind of my first notice of it of the the attention on the court is like once um, Scalia died, and then there was all this attention on the confirmation hearings. But now it's not just like the confirmation hearings; it's also kind of what are they not only deciding, but what are they doing, like you said, off the bench. And I don't remember, you know, ever um, reporting on kind of protests at the justices' homes. I mean, there's like a whole new level of scrutiny on the court and, um, you know, kind of like it's it's it just feels a lot more ramped up than than it ever has before. Yeah. The, the one qualification I might give to that is there was that in the period before Gorsuch was appointed, um, there was when they just had an eight justice court, they, you know, uh, did everything by consensus. And Stephen Breyer was was delighted. And there wasn't a whole <laughs> lot of a whole lot of big news that came out of the Supreme Court. It wasn't until Gorsuch got appointed that things uh, really ramped up. There was kind of a sense uh, looking back on it, too. I, you know, I hit on the, the Scalia vacancy as well as, you know, if, if the Supreme Court kind of did a lot of things by the book, that was really one of the first times that the book kind of got thrown out, right? You had Clarence Thomas's confirmation, then later Justice Kavanaugh's confirmation. They were contentious. They were fiery. They left an impact on the court. But it was still kind of within the model of how things were supposed to work. But when they delayed, 
you know, the confirmation and, 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 and held up uh, Merrick Garland, I think there was a sense that like, all right, somehow we're outside of the lines now in terms of hi- at least historical precedent. And that kind of took a, you know, took things on a turn on a new path. Tom, you mentioned before when you first started this podcast that it was very lo-fi. I think we have to note that the court was also lo-fi in those days as well. And that, well, still is. But (laughs) but I would would say like a lot has changed, right? Especially um, with the COVID nineteen pandemic, really pushed the court into the twenty first century. Even I think a little unwillingly. Um, You know, they have a lot farther to go. But so, can you talk about kind of that change that you've seen with? you know, kind of the change in how accessible the court is now compared to when you first started? Yeah, I think there was there was a there was a sense that, you know, the beautiful thing about reporting at the court and being there was to get this kind of, um, you know, uh, sense of what's what it's like in the room. And it was a very limited number of people who got that sense of what it's and now you know audio provides a little bit of that you know one day it'll probably be video and then we're all you know then everything's completely different but yeah i mean at, at that time it was more you know you you really wanted to sit there and and soak up everything you know little nuances from what people are fidgeting on the bench or you know uh justice thomas leaning over to tell somebody a joke or you know whatever it might be and people still do a great job of bringing that into their coverage and and seeing it but i think the more you drift into audio and streaming and and things like that the the kind of less there is on that and it's more sound bites and clips and things like that. I mean, we're definitely hearing more from Justice Clarence Thomas than we have in what, a decade, Um, you know, because the court has this, um, you know, had to switch to audio and had to go to this kind of round robin format of of asking questions. And I think that really prompted him to start participating in a way that he hasn't before. Well, as somebody who spent most of my time in the Supreme Court sitting behind a pillar in one of the porticos, (laughs) my biggest fear was always that Justice Thomas would say something and I'd have no idea what he sounded like and then just miss, you know, what was going on or not be, you know, um, since I couldn't see them. Um, But I think that is, I mean, there's the technology aspect of everything and then there's kind of the court changing its ways and kind of trying out new things. And I think the, the kind of round robin questioning was something that obviously they wanted to give it a shot. It seems like it worked. I think there, there, it feels like there's consensus that everybody's like, all right, we found something that's kind of good. It elevates the arguments a little bit, it brings in different perspectives. Um, so on that level, it's, it's good that they you know, were forced into kind of trying something new. And then I think it's easy to forget, but the fact that there are now links in the docket pages so that you can add, you don't have to like go and like grab a book, you know, one of these little bound books to actually look and see what's in these briefs is, I mean, it boggles my mind that that's something new that we're talking about happening in the last 10 years. But, it, you know, it's relatively new. I, I kind of miss the books. I was actually over there yesterday because in, in part because I actually enjoy, you know, flipping through briefs. It's sometimes easier to, to read them that way. Um, and also, you know, opinions. The fact that everything is online now, it really, from my standpoint, dramatically changes how I do my job because it used to be that, 
the rest of the world didn't have this opinion that I had just been handed. And and now, you know, we get handed an opinion and 30 seconds later, it's up online and everybody can see it. And the same thing with the arguments that used to be that, you know, as you're saying, Tom, you know, if you were in the room, you could hear what was going on. But if you weren't there, you weren't hearing it. Um, but now in kind of, a, you know, kind of the democratization of, of news reporting and news consuming, um, you know, everybody can hear it and everybody can talk about it instantly on Twitter or whatever, or X or whatever, you know, medium they, they want to use. Control F is a game changer when you get that opinion <laughs> and you can start looking for keywords and pulling out sections and all of a sudden they're up on X and Twitter and whatnot also. So if we had done this podcast for 10 years during a different time span on the court, then we would not be asking this question because there was really no change in the membership on the court for like 11 years, right? But in the last 10 years, quite a bit of change. And just sort of wondering who you guys think has been the biggest game changer. I sort of feel like I can make an argument for all of the new justices on the bench. So in 10 years, we're talking about Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett, Jackson. Well done. I, I wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of it, right, it, 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 I mean, it depends on whether we're thinking about who they replaced, right? And if you look substantively, the biggest answer is, is obviously either Barrett, who replaced Ginsburg, or Kavanaugh, who replaced Kennedy. And if you want to think stylistically, you know, Gorsuch, because he replaced Scalia, you know, like Scalia not being on the bench is a huge, huge difference in terms of the tone and the liveliness of arguments, certainly. I think I would argue of all all these, I think I would argue um, for Barrett because that substantive shift also really affected the feel of arguments. Suddenly, things that once seemed like cases that might go either way uh, did not seem that way. And suddenly, there were only three liberal justices there. And they, you know, I think you look at the, the arguments in recent years, they have been more outspoken now because there are fewer of them and they need to make the points that they think are important in the argument. And uh, I, t- to me, that that has really shifted everything about the court, both in terms of its substance and also just the, the, the feel of the courtroom. I think we see that with Justice Jackson joining the bench, right? You know, she's one of the few liberals that they have. And, you know, people remarked on her first term on the bench. You know, she was very vocal, where usually a new justice kind of sits back and waits and kind of, you know, bides their time. But no, she jumped right in. And and so I think that's probably part of it, right, is that they there's so few of them. You know, you have to you kind of have no choice but to be um, vocal to make your points and to try to, you know, sway other justices on the bench. That's a tough one. I mean, I think we talked a little bit about uh, you know, the Scalia change and Gorsuch, but that's less of a, of a swap of personality and kind of the way that that, that, that process went down. Um, I mean, I, I think you could make the case, uh, as, as, as Greg and you both did, for Barrett or, uh, or Jackson, just because if you look at who they replaced it changes the dynamics so dramatically, right? Uh, Ginsburg was such an icon. People felt like they knew where her feelings, you know, lay and, and, and what to expect from her. And now it's almost completely turned on its head. With Jackson, it's, you know, Breyer was, may have been part of the liberal wing, but was also often in the middle, trying to peacemake, very pragmatic, the giant long hypothetical, you know, all of those things are kind of now out the window and you've got to play with a whole new sense of who this person is, what are her, you know, what's her jurisprudence going to be like. Um, and it's, it, I think it's dramatically different. 
Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Gorsuch. Um, not so much on like case law and the types of cases that they're hearing, but just as you sort of mentioned, Tom, the whole process. I think, you know, there's even today people say, okay, the court's not a political body. It's based on ideology. That's very different. But I think after what you saw in the Senate and sort of the politics around it, um, you know, you know, Republicans' efforts to hold up Merrick Garland's nomination, I think it was a lot harder to make that argument, at least for people who, you know, don't don't pay attention to the Supreme Court all the time. And I can see that being sort of a, a natural precursor to sort of where we are now and sort of where the public or at least a big part of the public, how they view the court. So I'm team Gorsuch on that one. What about Justice Kavanaugh, though? He seems like somebody that, you know, has been joining the chief um, in some cases and where you would think it would go the other way. You know, if you think about the Voting Rights Act cases, so it seems like he might be one that is maybe a little more moderate than people thought. Um, I'm certainly not going to call him like a swing vote like Kennedy, but, you know, he's definitely in that regard. I, I think, you know, some people were worried like, oh, this is a 6-3 conservative majority. But on some issues, the chief gets to pull him over to the other side, you know. And So um, switching the subject again, you all who have been on this podcast longer than I have, what uh, is there any particular interesting feedback you've gotten from folks o- about it over the years? Zero. Oh, really? I, I'm, well, on my portion, my contribution to the podcast, <laughs> zero <laughs> feedback. Your mom didn't my, say anything about it? <laughs> she, she, she said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> And then asked me what I wanted for dinner. So, uh, yeah, no. Um, no feedback on my side. <laughs> I, I feel like I get feedback all the time. I just got feedback this morning. We went to a, um, you know, a, a preview of the upcoming Supreme Court term and someone said, oh, you know, I listened to you and I thought, oh, that's terrifying. I mean, that's great. Thanks for listening. And I've heard from people in the building who who you know, listen to the podcast. I have a friend who listens (laughs) religiously, but not only because I joined, he was listening to it prior to that. But now, and you know, when I was kind of joining in as like a, you know, co-host to to fill in sometimes whenever you or Greg wanted to slack off, um, you know, he'd play it in the car and uh, his uh, five-year-old in the backseat is like, oh, that's Aunt Lydia. (laughs) Is that Aunt Lydia? That's so much support that your your neighbor listens to you and your mom <laughs> listens to you. I have a brother who is actually an attorney, and he said he listened to the podcast once and, quote, it just wasn't for him. Womp, <laughs> <laughs> womp. So I, I have one more question for us. It's really, this is really a question for David, the, the, the producer. Why is there no cake? <gasps> <laughs> there, are no, there are no hats. There's no, you know. No noisemakers. We're just stuck in this stuffy little booth. Yeah, it's hot in here. <laughs> it, just got, it just got a lot hotter. <laughs> when we do our next, our 20th year episode, our 20th anniversary, oh, we'll have a new producer for you all. Today. <laughs> I'll, I'll stand up for you, David. This is, it, it may be a little warm in here, but this is infinitely better than the uh, pale green 1970s pre-renovated Bloomberg office building that these were recorded in beforehand. And, uh, yeah, I think we've come a long way. We each have our own microphone. That is true. That's huge. (laughs) 
All right. Well, this was great. Thank you guys all for joining us. For listeners, we're going to be back kicking off the Supreme Court's 2023 term next week uh, with a preview of what's ahead from the justices. And until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. Hello, podcast listeners. If you don't already know On the Merits, our weekly podcast devoted to legal and government news, it's a show that features the very best of Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government, newsrooms that boast among the largest number of credentialed journalists in D.C. When you listen to On the Merits, you'll hear about the groundbreaking developments in the courts, in Congress, and in the alphabet soup of federal agencies that run Washington and our nation. Our show is by and about legal policy nerds, and we say that lovingly. It's a nerd's eye view of what professionals in the legal and government space need to know, but you do not have to be a nerd to listen. Check out our show on the merits and find new episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and you can find our archive of shows at news.bloomberglaw.com slash podcasts.